Good morning, Family Church. Waterlooville, you're looking good, by the way. We might be small in number today, but the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's still shining all over Waterlooville and beyond. And um, there are a few people who aren't here, but there you go. You're here, and that's all that matters. And God is a word for each one of us today. And it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, um, it's not such an easy word. But, um, but you, I know that your hearts are right. That's why we prayed. So we've been doing a series in, of late called Guarding Your Heart. And um, from Proverbs 4.23, the Bible says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it, out of your heart, spring the issues of life. In fact, the, the New Living says, for your heart determines the course of your life. And we, we read in the Passion Translation, it says that your affections set your directions. And so for a number of weeks, we've been, we've been sharing about guarding our hearts. In the first week, we shared about guarding our hearts against discouragement. And you remember we learned what the antidote was for discouragement is hope, believing God, believing God that what he says in his word is true. The following week, we did guarding our hearts about against unforgiveness and forgiveness we heard is the very thing that God designed to heal the hurting human heart it's the very thing it's the thread of the gospel that is the gospel message is based on forgiveness last week we shared on trusting a trustworthy God remember the account of Elijah and the widow at Zarephath what a fantastic account in the Bible, how God undertook for this prophet Elijah and this widow miles away in the enemy territory in Sidon, a Gentile woman, and yet God undertook for both Elijah and this widow that God shows no partiality. He shows no partiality. We can trust God with all our hearts. We can trust God from the bottom of our hearts. So those, that's what, what, what has been. If you want to catch up with any of these messages, they're available on Spotify, they're available on the church app, they're available on YouTube, they're available on the website. I mean, that's, you know, they're all over the place, but there's no, you know, it's, it's read, the messages are readily available, which is why we record them. So today we're going to share about guarding our hearts against offences. Oof. You know what? I've never known an era, a time, where it seems like everybody is offended about something. And sadly, even in the church, it's so easily to become offended. And in Luke chapter 17, verse 3, if you can see that screen, okay, I was thinking maybe we need to move it over there from now on because of the position of the sun. But anyway, what did actually believe you me when, it's, when, I, when I'm reading it? It says, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. He says, take heed to yourselves. Guard yourself, guard your heart. Take heed to yourselves. 
If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. That's okay. You can confront in love, okay? And if he repents, forgive him. So if you want to know about forgiveness, go back to two weeks ago's message. But that word offense, Jesus says it's impossible that no offenses should come. And that word offense is the Greek word scandalon. And a scandalon is a trap or a snare. It's, a, it's, it's the stick that actually springs the trap. So if you want to have an animal trap, which we don't, okay, we don't do that because we are kind to our animals, even the vermin, we kind to vermin. And, uh, but anyway, but that, that trap, that spring is called a scandalon. And in Greek, that word was used for, as a stumbling block. It's called, it's a stumbling block. And um, it's the word that we get the word scandal from. And it was originally used to express how we felt about ourselves when we tripped up, when we, disappointed, when we were disappointed because of a mistake that we might have made. So it's a stumbling block, it's a snare. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a snare. An offense can also mean resentment or umbrage. You know, I take umbrage at that. It sounds posh, doesn't it? I take umbrage at that. Um, or huff. This is a new, it's not a new word, but it's a commonly used word. I'm going to have a little huff, have a little hissy fit. And, um, but it's something that morally outrages a person. That's what an offense is. And actually, there's a book that's been written, in, in, fact, in fact, that's entitled The Bait of Satan. And that's exactly what it is. An offense, scandalon, is the bait of Satan. And the, the key thing to this whole message, don't take the bait. Mm -hmm. Don't get tripped up. It's up to us to not get offended. You know what, there are always opportunities to be offended. Jesus said it's impossible that, offenses should, that no offenses would come. But just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean we have to take it. Sometimes opportunities come, you can just pass. Let that one go. In 2 Timothy 1.7, a well-known scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7, the New Living says, for God's not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You know, it's one, of the, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. We can exercise self-control over chocolate cake and over offenses. It's the same it operates exactly the same way. We can control ourselves with God's help. We, do, we don't have to take offense, and we don't have to give offense. It's so important. You know what? People are going to take the bait. But the Bible says, woe to you if you are the cause of that person stumbling. You know what? We all have our thorns in the flesh, you know? I have quite a number, actually. <laughs> I shouldn't admit that, but I do. I have a couple of, there are some people in my life that just wind me up the wrong way. They just, they just do. They're called a thorn in the flesh. None of them are here. And there's none of them in this church, so don't say, oh, it's so-and-so because they're not here today, so Sandy feels free and at liberty to say, they, this is your thorn in the flesh. No. But there are just a few people in my life that just like, <clears throat> Ah, it's just so hard with them, you know. It's like, oh man, you're so offensive. But anyway, do you know what? When I, I've discovered a scripture, I've discovered a scripture. And when these people come into my life, 
and they offend me and they wind me up. I've got my quote. I've got my quote for my antidote. And it's 1 John 2.10 and it says, He who loves his brother or his sister abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. So, the antidote to offence is love. Am I walking in love? When that person comes along and I start getting, you know, riled, huffy, irritated, am I walking in love? Am I walking in the truth that I already know? If I am, there should be no offence given and there should be no offence taken. So it's up to me. And the whole thing is about keeping strife out of our life. Work at it. You've got to work at it. You know, Chris and I have been married for 25 years. We do not fight. But we have to work at it. You know, I, my, I'm sorry, my love, but I no longer get goose flesh. My heart doesn't race a little bit faster in the morning when I wake up and I see you next to me and I'm like, oh, my darling, the love of my life. No, there are things, we have to work at this. You know, I love him dearly. My my favorite person on the planet but we have to work at it and we have to keep strife out of our life we have to work at it the devil sets us up to upset us he sets us up he sends that scandal on he sends that that bait for us to trip on and i don't like to give the devil any credit but i tell you what you do need to know your enemy because he is our enemy and he knows our weaknesses he knows what's your achilles heel Where's your weakness? How can I trip you up? How can I just get your buttons pushed? And that's what he will do in order to make you stumble. Sometimes it can just be one word. Boom. Offense. Offended. Just one word. It happened to me this very week. I'm hating these messages. I'm loving them, but I'm hating them, but I'm having to live them out minute by minute every day of my week. It's like, can we now go on to something sweet? Thank you. But, um, but you know what? We need to refuse to live with bitterness, with wrath, with anger, with resentment. Let's walk in love, man. You know, like we shared last week, when's the best time to forgive? Before you get offended. Choose. You know, sometimes get up in the morning and just choose. I refuse to get offended today. I'm not going to get offended. I can exercise self-control. I can choose what I'm going to accept or what I'm going to reject today. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 of well-known scripture, God says, I set before you today, today, blessing or cursing, life or death, blessing and cursing. Then he gives a big hint. He says, choose life. Choose life. Strife is not life. Strife is a curse. Choose blessing. Offense is not a blessing. Offense is part, is part of strife. Get it out of your life. You know what, before something happens in your life, it normally starts off in your heart. And that's why this message, this series is about guarding your heart. What starts in the heart actually doesn't always stay in the heart. It comes out. It manifests in a certain way. You know, it can start, something can start as a thought. And that thought can take root in your heart and can turn into a word. And 
that word can turn into an action. And that, act, that action can also turn into an attitude. But remember what we read in 2 Corinthians 10, that we need to take thoughts captive. We can't just accept every thought that lands in our head. We can't just walk around with offensive and offended thoughts because they will affect our attitude. They will affect us and the way that we live our lives. Matthew chapter 5, <coughs> sorry, 21 to 22. Jesus speaking, saying, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, Jesus, he always takes it one step further. I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. He's just said whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. Now he's saying, I'm taking it further. Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. So it's almost like murder and anger towards a brother without a cause is almost equal. They, the same result. There's going to be judgment. But it's not just the external. He's, he's not talking here about the external. We Generally, I would say, probably I can say with quite a lot of confidence, 100% of us this week will not commit murder. Okay, I, 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 I trust you guys, okay? You're not going to murder this week. But angry? Angry with your brother? Without a cause? I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at me when I say this. It's, it's, it's about the condition of our hearts. And whoever, and he goes on and he says, whoever says to his brother, there's that speaking bit, whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. How, how many people have called somebody a Raka this week? No? Good. Phew, we're in good company then. But whoever says, there's that word again, what's in your heart comes out, you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. This is serious stuff. This is dangerous stuff. I don't want to play with this stuff. And I looked up what those words racker meant. I thought, I've never used that word, you know. It sounds, it sounds like, like an Afrikaans word, like it's got meaning, you know. I think that's the way you should say it. And what it means is, oh, empty one. <laughs> I mean, how derogatory can you get? Oh, empty one. Oh, stupid one. You blockhead. That's what that word rucker means. It's a quite an expressive word. And fool, the, the, the Greek word for fool is moros. You can guess which word we get from that. Moron. And it means godless. You're foolish. And you know what the interesting thing is that when you say the word rucker, rucker, whatever that word is, it's showing contempt for a person's intelligence. You're saying you're, stu you're foolish. You're empty-headed. You're empty. There's not much going on in there. You're showing contempt for his intelligence. But when you're saying you're foolish and you're godless, you're showing contempt for his character. We can't go around attacking people's intelligence or their character. It's just not right. But God, Jesus brings it back to the heart every time. So we look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 to 27. A well-known scripture says, be angry and do not sin. A 
It's okay to be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Nor give place to the devil. In fact, um, another version says, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. And he goes on in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, verse 31, he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So in other words, with all badness. In other words, anything that I've not covered in that description there about wrath and bitterness and anger and clamor and evil, it covers the word malice. Anything that's got malice in, get it away from you, put it away from you, but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The message actually says, don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. Just stop it. Just stop it. Be angry and do not sin. Anger in itself is not a sin. It's an emotion. But if we hold on to that emotion long enough, it can degenerate into sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't go to bed angry. Oh, it's the worst thing. Don't go to bed angry. Because to allow a period of anger to be unreasonably, uh, unreasonably prolonged is to give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. A foothold means opportunity or power. Don't give the devil power. Don't open the door. You know what, um, a foothold is basically, you know what, when you open a door and, um, and you, 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 want, you don't want the door to close automatically, you stick your foot in. So what you're doing is you're keeping that door open with your foot. That's a foothold, that's where the word comes from. But, it's, but, but, a, but a foothold is a secure position from which further progress can be made. So we just have that little crack in the door, you put your foot in the door, and further progress can, can, can take place as a result. Don't give the devil that foothold. John 10.10 10 says that the thief, the devil, comes to rob, kill, and destroy. The devil's agenda in your life is destruction. And I'm not giving him glory here today, but these are, this is truth. This is truth. The devil's agenda in your life is destruction. Whereas God says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. God is a giver. The devil is a taker. The devil comes to rob, to kill, and destroy. And the devil's agenda is destruction, and his strategy is division. Matthew, Matthew 12 says, a house divided against itself will fall. It will not stand. And in fact, I like what the New Living says, a town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. A town or a family, let's bring it in a little bit closer. It's nice to keep things out at a distance, but a family or a town splintered by feuding will fall apart. We call to be peacemakers to reconcile men to God. 
So the, so the devil's agenda is destruction. His strategy is division, but his tactic is offense. That's his, that's his tactic. And the enemy, he starts in a small way, just with that foothold, just with that snare, just with that scandal on. One small offense at a time. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. You know, it's not normally, an offense is not normally like a big thing, like uh, murder. You know, you don't go around murdering people willy-nilly. Or, or in, a, in a marriage relationship, it's not usually, doesn't start off with adultery. It, you know, if a marriage breaks up or marriage ends, it doesn't just start with adultery. It starts with the little, the little foxes. It's one offense at a time. It can start small. It can be as small as a word, but it can start small. You know, in, in, in marriage, we hear how God takes the two and the two become one. The devil takes the one and makes them two. He's out to divide. He's out to divide. One offense at a time. You know what? If you're quick to be offended, I've got some good news for you. There is good news in this message. You don't have to stay that way. We can train ourselves to be less offended. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8 in the New Living says, train yourself to be godly. It's exercising self-control. Train yourself. Train yourself. The message says, exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. No spiritual flabbiness. Exercise yourself in God. It's about discipline. It's about self-control. The Bible says train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness, much better. And he goes on, he says, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. There's rewards. There are rewards for training yourself to live a godly life in this life, here and now, today. What's the date? The 7th of November, 2021. Sometimes we have this default setting, this like factory setting in us that's easily offended. Well, like we've shared previously, it's time to create those new pathways. Remember we shared about being transformed by the renewing of our minds in Romans chapter 12. If we, if we think a certain way, we've got to change the way we think. And the way we do it is by setting new pathways. If we are easily offended or quickly offended, it's time to change the way you think. You can't go through life like that. You're going to become miserable. The people around you are going to be miserable. Man, Jesus says, I've come to give life and give it in its abundance. We're here to enjoy our lives, not endure it. And so we've got to, if, we, if we are offended and walking downcast and moody all our lives, it's up to us to change it. And ladies, let me say, we set, we set the atmosphere in our homes. It's up to us. I'm telling you, I know the men, they do whatever it is they do, but we set the atmosphere. But we set the atmosphere. So let's, let's, let's have that joyful heart in our homes. Come on, that's good for us. It's good for the home. So the question isn't, are offenses going to come? They are. They are going to come. But you know, what are we going to do about it? 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. 
for your adversary, the enemy, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Well, tell you what, devil, you're seeking who you can devour, but you cannot devour here. You're not devouring in my life. I'm going to be watchful. I'm going to be sober-minded. I'm going to be aware that you're walking around. But the good news is, yes, your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. He's like a terrorist with the AK-47. But guess what? He's got no bullets. He's been disarmed. He's got no bullets in that AK-47. Hallelujah. Jesus reigns. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we're going to look in, in the last 10 minutes that I've got of this message, very quickly, we're going to look at the account of somebody in the Bible, two people, Cain and Abel. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 4. Excuse me, I have a sip of honey and lemon. It's delicious. Thank you, Chris. Oh, my husband's good to me, hey? Genesis chapter 4. It says, And in the process of time... It came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So it might seem unfair. Why did God accept Abel's offering but not Cain's. Cain had bought an offering of the fruit of the ground, but Abel, it says, bought the firstborn. So he was honoring God with his firstborn, with his first fruits, and not just his firstborn, but with the fat as well. And that fat represented luxury. So it's like, here God, you can have this firstborn, it's my, it's, and it's a strong, sturdy lamb, it's not a weak, insipid little lamb. No, this is, this is the perfect lamb, and it's got its fat as well. There was a sacrifice, there was a fat burnt offering to the Lord, which is, the Bible talks about is a sweet aroma to the Lord. He bought the best of the flock. And I think, why did Abel bring the lamb? To me, that shows me his character. You know, Cain and Abel were brothers. They were brought up by Adam and Eve. They had already witnessed the death of animals, and yet they, and they knew about atonement. They knew about atonement. And to me, it shows character in Abel that he recognized, he was a humble man. He recognized he needed, he needed saving. He needed a savior. So he gave a blood offering. The Bible says with, with, there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. So he knew about the blood offering, and he offered a blood sacrifice. We know that um, not only that, that he was humble, but the Bible says in a number of places that he was a righteous man. He was a righteous guy. Abel was a good guy. And he did, when he offered this sacrifice to God, he did it in faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's the faith hall of fame. All this by faith, Moses did this. By faith, Sarah conceived. By faith, by faith, by faith. And in it, Hebrews 11, 4, it says, Abel offered his more excellent sacrifice to God because he did it in faith. And two verses later, 
It's impossible to please God without faith. It wasn't just his sacrifice, it was the fact that he did it by faith. When we do things, when God instructs us to do things in a certain way, we apply our faith to that, and God honors the faith. God honors your faith as you follow his leading. And when you think about it, Cain had pulled out, I don't know what it was, some kind of vegetable or a fruit, probably a cabbage or something, I don't know. He pulled something up out of the ground. And aesthetically, I guess, that, whatever that was, that fruit, it says a fruit, let's call it whatever it was, a tomato or whatever it was, it was more aesthetically pleasing, whereas what Abel gave was a bloody mess. And I'm not swearing, it was literally a bloody mess, wasn't it? But you know what? Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. He looks at what Abel's heart was like. He looked at what Cain's heart was like. Cain acknowledged God as creator. He also brought an offering, but there was no faith, and there was no attitude that I need saving. He was arrogant. He was, um, he was just sort of a, a self-made man, if you like. He didn't see the need for God. His heart wasn't in the offering. And the reason why God respected Abel was because Abel was this man with, of humility and the man of faith. But because God rejected Cain's offering, Cain got angry. But he got angry with God. And the Bible says his face showed it because God didn't respect his offering. And it goes on in verses 6 and 7. It says there in Genesis 4, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. What, I, I just, I just, this verse speaks volumes. The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. God's giving Cain a choice. You can choose well and be accepted, or you can choose, choose not to do well and take the sin. But he's offering him a way out. And the interesting thing, God knows, God asks him a question. Why are you angry, Cain? God knows everything about him. But I believe that God's wanting Cain to take ownership of his emotion. Because without, he, he just doesn't seem to recognize anything in his own life. But he's saying, take ownership of your emotions, Cain. Tell me why you're feeling so downcast. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? You know, so frequently we want to blame others. But if anybody was to blame, it was Cain. But and God knows everything about us. And, but then God comes with this beautiful, beautiful um, choice. He hands it to him on a platter and says, if you do well. He doesn't attack Cain. He lovingly confronts him and makes plans. He, he makes space for Cain to repent. But Cain doesn't. He says, but if you do not do well, God warns him of the destructive power 
He warns him, sin is waiting at its door and its desire is for you. That anger in your heart is turning into murder at the door. The way of sin, the way of offence is downhill. The devil's agenda is destruction and his tactic is offence. Cain was offended with Abel. His offence towards Abel was envy. He was envious of Abel's sacrifice. He was angry with God, but he was offended with Abel. And he goes on though and he says, if you do well, sin lies at the door. And Chris said this a couple of weeks ago and I thought, let me just check it out. And what he said was the truth. <laughs> but he said sin, the word for sin in the Bible is the same word for sin offering. God is saying to Cain, sin is waiting at the door and its desire is for you. And what he's saying as well at the same time is sin offering. Jesus is sitting at the door. He's at the door. Don't go that way. There's a choice. Don't get offended, Cain. Don't get offended. The sin offering is there. Jesus Christ is the, is the Lamb of God. You know what? He's, he's offering him mercy. He's saying, don't do it. Don't do it. But he gives him a choice. Sin is crouching at the door. The sin offering is crouching at the door. It just reminds me of Revelation 3.20. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. The offering, the sin offering, stands at that door and knock. He is the sacrificial lamb. God is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. And the Bible goes on and says in verse 8, that Cain talked with Abel, his brother, so they had relationship. They still continue, even though, even though Cain was offended with Abel, but Cain spoke with his brother. You know, it reminds me of how deceptive people can be, isn't it? Because he was taking him out of the field and then he murdered him. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. It's the first human death in the Bible was Abel, the first one, and it was by murder. Oh, how awful, how terrible. But Cain talked with his brother. It's like familiarity. It's a cover-up. It reminds me of how Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. That friend, that thing that was meant to be as a friendship, he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And here Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass. It was premeditated. He had, just, he had decided that Abel was going to die, even though Abel had done him no harm. Abel had done him no wrong. But Cain's sin originated from that one offence of envy. And that offence, once indulged, led to hatred and malice and then murder. It started off as offence. It went on to division between the two brothers and it landed up in destruction. It landed up in destruction. And so such a powerful message in the Bible today. And I just want to encourage you, if you're carrying offence in your heart towards someone today, it's so important that we, get, that we get our hearts right before God. Let's learn 
to let it go. Don't allow it to take root in your heart. Don't allow that thing to become that downward spiral. Don't come to, so when you come to God, don't come to God with a heart full of revenge, wanting to seek revenge, wanting to get even. No. You know what the Bible says? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son so that through his son, Jesus Christ, we could be saved. And God's not asking you for perfection. He's not saying, you go away and you go sort it out first. No, God's saying, come to me as you are. Just come to me as you are. You don't have to have resolved the whole thing, but have the heart that before God. Right, he desires truth in the inward parts. Psalm 51. Does God desires truth in the inward parts. You don't have to wait for that relationship to be perfectly restored. You know, forgiveness is between one person, but reconciliation takes two. So you don't have to wait for, the, for, the, for that relationship to be fully restored, but come to God. And like that word that Chris brought at the beginning of the service, do things his way. Walk in his ways. Believe God. We sang about, we believe that, you know, that God's, he's faithful and that he watches over his word and that he, 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 will, he will perform his word that he's promised over our lives. But even if you've got feelings of antagonism towards a person, just come before God today. Choose to walk in love. Choose to forgive. Even when those feelings of antagonism are overwhelming, do it. Just do it. Just let, those, let that offense drop. It's not worth it. Choose life. Let go of the offense. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Let's pray.